1: Is 508 you're listening to the evening edition with Sharmila and Sharad first up this hour we are talking about the suspected murder of six-year-old Zane Ryan and how cases like these should be handled so this of course um, began on the 5th of December Tuesday when six-year-old Zane Ryan was reported missing so the mother actually shared about his disappearance on a Facebook post and she said that Zane had autism and he was non. Verbal. So essentially, what she said um, was that uh, she had been walking him home from school uh, back to their apartment in Damansara Damai when she realized that she uh, he wasn't with her as they were climbing up the staircase. So after the Facebook post, um, a lot of people were sharing it. Um, and then on the 6th of December at 10 p.m., uh, unfortunately, and, and very tragically, his body, still in the school uniform, was found in a stream about 200 metres from their house. Um, and this was thirty eight after 38 hours of searching. Um, and since then, what we now know, according to the Bukit Aman Criminal Investigation Department Director, Datuk Sri Muhammad Shuhaili Muhammad Zain, the autopsy results seem to indicate that the cause of death was from injuries to the neck, believed to be caused by strangulation. Um, it was also also found that the victim was believed to have been killed at a different location before being left where he was found um, and that this was in a secluded area that wasn't often um, frequented by members of the public and the case has been reclassified to section 302 of the penal code for murder
2: So I think typically in situations like this the police uh, suggest that the public not speculate as to what actually happened uh, and uh, and I think that's probably good advice um, and I think you you even in discussing this, that's what we are going to be, be mindful of. The other thing, of course, is, you know, and this is a kind of public trigger, right? Often there's a lot of blame going on and it's directed at the, tragically, at the parents. So I think we're going to try and avoid that as well. So essentially what we're going to do
1: today, it is still such early days, um, information is still emerging. We're going to talk about safety for children in general. We're also going to hone in on, uh, particularly when it comes to children with special needs, what are the sorts of considerations that need to be made and whether we have um, the sufficient systems and the sufficient safeguards in place when things like this happen. So we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us. Us a voice note or whatsapp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. After this we'll be speaking with P. P. H. Wong, child rights activist and director of the Childline Foundation. So keep it here. BFM 89.9.
0: Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9.
1: It's 5.12. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And today we are talking about the suspected murder of six-year-old Zane Ryan, who went missing on the 5th December, Tuesday, and then was sadly found dead on the 6th December. So we are talking about child safety, essentially, and what systems we need to have in place to ensure that. Let us know what are your thoughts on this. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line, Dathin P.H. Wong, Child Rights Activist and Director of the Childline Foundation. P.H., good to have you with us.
0: Yeah, thank you. So
1: this is, of course, a very tragic story. Um, have you been following it? How did you feel upon hearing what happened?
0: Uh, yeah, I've been following it because uh, it's Tamarza Damai and we have a toy library there. And it's really tragic because we believe this little boy may have been one of the pe- kids who came to the toy library. Uh, it's supposed to be a safe space for the children while the parents are at work. So we it kind of has a personal uh, uh, you know, uh, impact for me because it's particularly in Idaman apartment where we know that river, we know the child and we know the family, you know? So it's really, really sad.
2: Now, right now, what mechanisms do we have for uh, when a child goes missing? What typically happens in such a scenario?
0: I think right now, people just go on social media and try to spread the news as wide as possible because I got a notification on social media as well and not knowing that it was from Idaman apartment, so we tried to spread it I'm not sure whether no alert was utilised at all yeah. Uh, but I think the community itself took action and quite a lot of them went and looked for the child, so that's very good
1: you meant you mentioned the neural alert, and uh, in the past we've actually seen criticism about it, including that it's not uh, fast enough or that it's not widespread enough. Would you agree? What do you know about how it works?
0: Um, I think most of us know very little about how it works. It's under the police, but I believe it has been used in some of the cases facing children, and uh, I'm not sure how effective it is. but uh, you know it it is better than not having any kind of alert. you know it is important us to be able to put into place uh, how how widely spread it goes, I don't know. Uh, You know, perhaps the police will be able to tell that because alert is as good as, you know, how widespread it can be within the shortest possible time, right?
2: Now, so uh, what other processes or mechanisms can we put in place here? Uh, And are there best practices uh, from other countries that we could emulate?
0: Yeah, uh, Jared, what happens is uh, I get very upset because uh, whenever a case comes up, then people get all all worked up about it. But we really need to look at child safety from a national perspective, perspective as well as at grassroots level, right? Uh, so the best thing to do is to look at prevention. And one of the best prevention is actually not CCTV it is, because CCTV is just to see evidence, you know. But we should be looking at how do we implement a child protection policy, a child safeguarding policy, within neighbourhoods, within schools, within home—you know, where children are—you know, in centres, childcare centres, and kindergartens. So it is prevention that we should we should build a network that can support families. And the other thing is uh, because this this is a PPR, right? Uh, There is very little support for children, especially when both the parents have to work you know, full-time, and we know that in our PPRs, where we have our toy libraries, children are often left home alone or they are left in the care of an older sibling. So I think one of the other effective ways is to teach children to be how to be safe, even if they're left home alone. I mean, it's illegal to leave kids home alone if they're under 12, right? But, you know, the parents would say, we have no choice, we have to go to work. So how do we as a community then and as government put into play some kind of safe places for children to be, Uh, it could be a community centre, it could be a toy library, something where the children could go after school or before school you know, so that they are safe and they are looked after by somebody else. So the answer is basically better care, better facilities for children who are... And and the fact that children should not be left home alone, Uh, we should be able to have some kind of support within that community itself.
1: And... um are there best practices that you think we could take from other countries?
0: Uh yeah, I think most con- uh, some some of the countries where the level of uh, um, I guess a lot of those that are, have got very safe, uh, you know, uh, environments, uh they believe in, uh, you know, en- enabling uh systems within neighborhoods within uh within, you know, schools and other places the children are, they actually look at how do we keep children safe, whether it's on the road or not? So we really have to look at wherever the child is, how safe are they, especially in schools, you know, because they're there most often. So we really look at the SOPs being set up and knowing who to go to when a child goes missing or a child gets hurt, right? That's critical. Uh, who is going to be taking charge when something happens? That's important.
2: Now we know that the, you know, a lot of people came out to, to help with the search. Yes. But uh, yes. so, can we speak a bit about that? What role can the community play when a child is lost or missing?
0: Yeah, I think that what happened uh, in Zain's case is very good because the community is pretty close knit community, and I think when the news went out, they actually came out in in droves to try to find him. Uh, so that is, they have a good system within that PPR itself. Where they have a WhatsApp group for each block, and I think that's how they managed to mobilize people so quickly. So I think that at least the community has, you know, has responded very quickly, which is very good.
1: Now, um, you discussed this, uh, you mentioned this earlier that um, you also saw the um, the initial news on social media and this is yes. something we see happening more and more often. We've seen families take to social media to try and get the word out as quickly as possible when something yes. like this happens. Has this usually been effective?
0: Yeah, I think it, it will be. Um, uh, like I said, it, it uh, spreads very fast. <laughs> I think it's faster than even the TV channels at the moment. Right. And and most people do go on social media. So that's how the alerts went out. It went through WhatsApp. It went through, you know, any other channels that uh, people are on because the families are desperate to find the child, you know.
2: Now, we understand, of course, when a high profile case uh, happens like this and uh, that people are trying to make sense of it. And it often leads them uh, down the route of speculation, right, about what happened and such. Considering that there's also a family grieving at the center of all this, what do you think is important for the public to keep in mind as we follow along as as this case develops?
0: Yeah, I think the, uh, the public needs to 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 know that a life has been lost and it's a very young life, and that family is grieving. And I think it's important not to speculate as to what happened, as particularly in this case, where the police are saying that the child has has been murdered. Uh, I think it's important not to spread news that is not true because it is. Um, I want to respect the child who has passed away and also the family that's grieving. So we have to be kind, you know, in a way we, we, we make our comments, you know, on this case.
1: Now, in, in your work, Childline focuses on upholding children's rights, on empowering communities to safeguard children. And when it comes to pushing for that, what considerations need to be made for children with disabilities or learning differences, especially considering that they tend to be the most vulnerable?
0: Yeah, they are definitely one of the most vulnerable of all the children that we have. And in many of these uh, places where, uh, particularly in the PPRs, uh, most of the children are not uh, receiving services. So what, what needs to be done is that, you know, we really need to put into place a list of places where these children with special needs can can receive services, whether it's in or around their place. Or even in school, you know, where they are, or in childcare centers and uh, and, and uh, kindergarten, I think they access the services. And because there is not very much, the parents, many parents do not understand or you know how to handle the children. So it helps if there is somebody who's, who's uh, you know ex- who can provide expert advice on you know this is the best way to handle the child. If you uh, you reach a point of you know being so frustrated, there is help. So that's extremely important to give them. These are the support systems and the support services you can assess so that parents don't feel overwhelmed. And the child, normally the child gets, uh, you know, abused on, you know, when sometimes parents get overwhelmed with having to care for them, particularly a child with special needs, right?
2: So, uh, PH, do you have a final message for us?
0: Yeah, I I think the final message would be, uh, it's not just the government, but I think it's for every community where you have children living within, whether it's a neighbourhood residence association, you really need to look at uh, how safe is your neighbourhood, how safe is your organisation, I mean, your your centre or your school for children because it is prevention that we need to talk about. We need to be able also to reach out to children themselves and say these are things you can do uh, if, if you're in danger. So education and awareness is definitely the way to go. Uh, when it comes to child safety and not just to the adults but to the children in particular.
1: BH, thanks for speaking with us today.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: That was Datin P. H. Wong, child rights activist and director of the Childline Foundation, weighing in on the issue of <coughs> child safety and uh, particularly what the community can do. Do weigh in. Um, uh, have, what do you make of this case? What are your thoughts on this? You can call 77332 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018789 8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. In the meantime, some music. Here's Travis with flowers in the window.